You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Let's go to Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. And we're going to look here at this week. We are looking at life's prize. Life's prize. What is to be gained in a life in Christ. And we will subtitle it, The Spiritual Mind in Christ. And so, Paul, as he has been throughout the whole epistle, is now going to give us, without uh, mincing words, let's say, he is going to give us the posture, the spiritual stance that we ought to have in our life, and that is a spiritual mind in Christ. The key verse of this chapter could be summed up in chapter 3 and verse 14, where he says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so we see this is with passion. This is with an emphasis. I am pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Amen. God did not save us just to be bench warmers. Is that all right? God did not save us, amen, just to come in and camp, but He saved us to be an army on the move, amen. And so Paul's saying we're pressing towards the mark, amen. So we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. Before he gets there, he opens up the chapter with some interesting things. Let's begin. We're just going to walk through verse by verse. Chapter 3 and verse number 1. Follow along in your Bible. He begins and says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now let me make note here. We're halfway through the epistle and he's saying finally. That is not to be mistaken that he is closing. He will use the word finally later on. And at that time he means in closing. But This is rather, he's saying, I'm changing subjects. And now for the remainder, we're going to focus on this. Finally, my brethren, for the the rest of this, we're we're going to focus on this. And he he prefaces it with rejoice in the Lord. Sunday morning I preached, I still have joy. And highlighted chapter 4 and verse 4 where he says, again, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. And so we won't talk about the emphasis that Paul is placing on the joy of the Lord. But this was something here. He's setting it before us. Joy in the Lord. Don't come into church, amen, with a sour face. Making yourself, look at me, here I am, I'm fasting, woe is me. I'm living this spiritual life. Oh, feel sorry for me. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. So you may have been fasting. Don't let anybody know about that. Amen. Keep that between you and God. But you've got something. Amen. Now, now you may still have pain. You may still have aches and pains and all that stuff. That's human nature. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is you ought to, amen, let the joy of the Lord shine. Why don't you stop and turn and smile at somebody. Just smile at somebody. Amen. I was once preaching in Appalachia, in the Appalachian Mountains. I won't tell you where. I was a young evangelist. I was nervous, and I got up to preach, and I I was just trying to warm the crowd up. You know how you talk a little bit before you get into it. And I I told them, I I said, 
I said, why, why don't you turn and smile at somebody and show them you got some teeth left? <clears throat> I have learned how to control my tongue. Amen. And not let the first thing come. And uh, thank God they were all in the joy of the Lord. They thought it was hilarious because they, I, I looked and they really were. They were saying, look, I see I still got some teeth left. And uh, bless the Lord. My, I have some family roots back down to the Appalachia area, so... I speak of it honestly. Amen. Amen. But Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And so he's saying here, I'm going to write this. It's not a burden for me to write this, uh, but for you it's a good thing. This is a safe thing. How many many appreciate the word of the Lord? Not just the first time, amen, but sometimes the second time and the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time. It's good. It's good for me to hear it. It's good for me, amen, to hear it again. And now in verse 2, we're not even out of the chute, fresh out of the chute. Man, he lets it go here. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, Paul is laying down the law, if you will, letting the gavel fall. I mean, he is not mincing words now with what he is about ready to speak. He's talking about life's prize. He is talking about the things that that God has given to us. And he's going to highlight some things. Let's go to the next slide. And we'll look at three things we're going to cover in this chapter. And the first is the corruptors of the prize. Then he's going to talk about the cost of the prize. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, we're going to look at the crown of the prize or or the crowning moment of that prize. But he starts out first talking about the corruptors of the prize, that which will harm you, that which will destroy, that which will decay. And so Paul is, he feels strongly about this. And it's not for himself, but it's for the people that are in Philippi. He's talking to them and saying, beware of dog. Beware of those that will corrupt what God has given to you. Okay, Paul, what what are you talking about here when you say beware of dogs? He's not talking about the dogs that we put the sign on the fence, beware of dogs. He's not talking about that. Paul is talking about something that he would go at length in the epistle to the Galatians where he calls them the Judaizers. And there is an episode that takes place in the book of Acts that we see in Acts chapter 15. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a great little study when you read because... um, And there's a reason why there's an order to the New Testament. We are given the Gospels first, of course... The, the life of Christ and the narrative and everything. And then next comes the, the Acts of the Apostles. And it is the historical narrative, the account of the early church authored by Luke, who, who also would write a gospel. And then following that, we have the epistles given to us and closing out with what Paul saw on the Isle of Patmos in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Acts is the narrative of the early church. And then we flip to the epistles and we're picking up on the issues of the early church. And so what Paul is addressing here is something that we see in Acts chapter 15 where the Judaizers, what were the Judaizers? The Judaizers were Jews that had converted to Christianity 
but still required all Christians to convert to Judaism. And so this, this was a big issue in the early church. Now, to us as Gentiles, that's a foreign concept to us. We're so far removed historically, and we're so far removed culturally that we don't understand what was actually taking place. But to Paul, this was something that he was so emphatic about that he said, beware of dogs, and beware of evil workers, and beware of the concision or the mutilation, that's, that's literally what that means. The mutilators, the mutilation. Beware of the mutilators. So what Paul was talking about is these people that were attempting to corrupt the faith of the early church. Now I'll tell you, we may not be dealing with Judaizers and that issue in today, but there are just as many things that are trying to corrupt the church Amen. In 2018. And if Paul took a position of saying, hey, I'm going to issue a warning. I'm going to be emphatic about this. I think it's all right for us to give platform and voice to some emphatic denouncement of things that will corrupt the faith of God's people. Why? Because there's nothing greater. There is a prize to be won. And why would you want anything to destroy that? So if we look in the book of Acts, we see, of course, that the faith, Jesus Christ, starts first with the Jews. They are the ones that were given, amen, the prophecies and, and the, the, the scriptures of the Old Testament. Christ comes in, and when he ascends up into heaven, he says, I'm going to send my spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost comes, and indwells the people of God in Acts chapter 2 revolutionized, amen, it revolutionized faith. Those people, those early Christians were Jews. They never stopped believing in Jehovah. They just found out that Jehovah manifests himself in flesh, and now the spirit of Jehovah can come down and deal with their body, with their soul, with their spirit. And indwell them. And so they saw themselves as not less Jews, but actually fulfilled as fulfilled as the seed of Abraham, as the followers after Abraham. Well, then the Gentile uh, church opens up. We know in Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans received the gospel. And, of course, the Jews didn't think too much about that, or the Christians didn't think too much, because the Samaritans had Jewish blood in them. It was, it was distant, but they, they had some kind of faith and acknowledgement there. And so that wasn't too much squabble over that until the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, remember that, received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And his entire house received the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. They baptized them in Jesus' name. And of course, they started saying, well, you know, they have to convert to Judaism. And they had settled the issue they thought, but the issue wasn't settled. So Paul starts traveling around now. God calls him and he's going to these places and, and evangelism is breaking out in all of these cities and in Antioch it broke out and there were people that heard that Paul was there and he was converting all these Gentiles. And so these Christian Jews followed up to Antioch and they went and found the believers and you can read all about this in Acts chapter 15. And they told them, uh, you are not saved just because you spoke in tongues, received the Spirit of God, because you repented, because you've been baptized in Jesus' name. But you have to be circumcised, you have to obey all of the law, the diets, you have to observe all the days and all the months, and you have to do all these things. 
And so they were bringing them under subjection back under those old things. And they were taking the powerful work. And, and I'm summarizing here. They were taking the powerful work of the gospel of Jesus Christ that shattered once and for all this concept that I have to measure up to God. And Paul said it this way, I can boldly go into the throne room of grace and obtain mercy. I will never be good enough for God. But God in His grace and mercy died on the cross so that He paid the price for my sins. And now because of that work, I can receive the gift of the Spirit of the absolute Almighty God in my life. Even though I haven't done all these things. And so Paul, Paul, all this, there's this tension and there's this conference in Jerusalem and they go back and they have this big deal and they convene and talk about that and said, look, we cannot take what God is doing and trying to reduce it down to works of the flesh because that's what they were doing. They were trying to reduce it down to works of the flesh. Can I tell you, it's a perversion of the work of the Holy Spirit to reduce the faith that we have, a man in Christ, to a work of the flesh. Is that all right? We got to be careful that we don't reduce that down to the work of a flesh. Because that is anti-Christ. And that's what Paul's going to show us later on. That that, even though they say, well, we're still believers. Paul said, no, no, that's anti-Christ. That's anti-everything that he's done. Later on, he's going to say it's enemies of the cross. So somebody comes in and you say, well, you can't do this. You have to do this. You have to do that. Now, this is a big topic for another issue. We already studied the book of James where James says that he says, if you have faith, there will be evidence. There will be fruit of your faith. There will be works that are there. But you are not saved by the works. You are saved by faith in Christ Jesus. And this is what the Judaizers were doing. They were coming in. And instead of it being about the gift, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, instead of it being about hope and trust in God, it was about the works of the flesh. That is the dangerous thing in, the, in, in most of the history of the church. The church, the, the, the word Catholic uh, uh, means, in essence, the church. And the history, you go back through the dark ages and everything, they got so hung up on the works that they were inventing works. They didn't even have any biblical foundation. And they were inventing works and say, if you will uh, step up these stairs so many times and pray a prayer every time, that's going to get you into heaven. That's going to get you to the next level. If you pay so much money, that's going to get you to the next level. And Thankfully, a man by the name of Martin Luther woke up and said, whoa, this is horrible, and he, and he renounced it. And of course, he swung a little bit to the other side in, in, in our uh, understanding historically, and he said, it's just grace, grace saves you. And of course, he started preaching grace where you didn't have to do anything, um, and it's just grace, and that's not right either. But, but uh, we cannot be saved by works. So here's how strong Paul felt about it. He called them dogs. Now the Jews, as a culture, as a people, had a prejudice against a certain people, and that was Gentiles, people that were not a part of them. And they called the Gentiles dogs. Paul is a Jew, but he's a believer and a Christian, and Paul says, no, you are the dog. Now in America, we make pets of dogs. 
Okay? We have cute dogs and all that kind of stuff. But you know, in most of the world, dogs are not necessarily pets. And you go back to antiquities, those were not necessarily things that, that you would have had running around and been feeding. And if you've ever traveled globally and been somewhere else, you can see dogs are more like coyotes in other places. It's just this rabid kind of world dog, whatever, that's just running around. They call, people call them world dogs because they look the same no matter what continent you are. There's just this mix and they're just running around scavengers and kind of thing. And that's what Paul calls the Judaizers. Look at what he says. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit, okay, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So look at what he's saying. He says, beware. So let's go back here real quick and let's note something. He's giving us a warning and the warning says, beware. He's saying, watch out for. He's even telling us to anticipate. You should anticipate that there are things that will try to corrupt your faith. Is that all right? Don't just put it in uh, autopilot and think everything's, you know, hunky-dory and everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, Monday morning comes around, slaps you upside of the face. And you say, well, I never saw that come. Paul's saying, anticipate that there will be corruptors of your faith that will come. Now, now notice this too. Can we just be real, real here tonight? Paul was not saying beware of it outside of the church. Is this all right? If we're following the Bible and saying what the Bible, following what the Bible says, Paul's saying beware of corruption inside of the church. People that parade themselves as believers. That's why it's so important. The, uh, the, the scripture tells us, try the spirits and see whether they be of God. We, we try the spirit. We, we're, we test the spirit. We sense that stuff. Amen. Now, if somebody comes in and somebody does something that, that would be a corruption to your faith, you don't write that person off. You don't write them off, amen, but you can identify what's taking place in that moment. Say, hey, I and my spirit don't need to partake of that. Is this all right? Is this good teaching? Amen. So sometimes in the church, you may come across conversation, activity, other things, and some, there's a witness in your spirit that says, you know what? That's probably not right for me. This, this is something that I should not be a part of. Don't write that person off or that individual off because they may be going through something. You ought to pray for them. You ought to love them. We don't cast them out. But you can identify what that is, and you can say, no, this is not going to be a part of me. You can, you can refute that. You can fight back against that. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. And, and we will find corruption within sometimes the house of believers. And so Paul says, beware of the dogs, okay? These are what the Jews called the Gentiles, but Paul called them this. He said, beware of evil workers. Okay, any work of the flesh is evil and goes against God. Okay, here's the interesting thing. The work of the flesh, you say, well, well, I have the Holy Ghost. I've been baptized in Jesus' name. But if you're still living your life through the work of the flesh, it's evil. Paul says it's evil. So if we as baptized believers in Jesus Christ are operating a church that's based on works of the flesh. Now, here we are encouraging you to pray and fast. Okay, in the month of Ju 
January, and we ask people to sign up on the calendar, but we ask you just to put your initial, not your name. And I've looked at the calendar, and just I haven't, but I haven't studied the initials. I hope nobody else is studying the initials to try to decipher the initial handwork out there. If you're doing that, you got way too much time on there, and you need to fill out a few more spaces. Um, but it's not about the works of the flesh. We're not calling saying, hey, did you fast today? Did you pray today? Did you do this? Because what happens is because when it becomes the measure of the flesh, you can say, well, I fasted today. I fasted. You know that there are people that are non-believers that fast. <laughs> and you're not going to be saved by your fasting. And if we make it about just the works of the flesh, the church, if we're not careful, can become just as much about the works of the flesh. Is that all right? We could even come in and create a culture that measures our praise, our prayer, our worship, our appearance in every way. Don't, don't be nervous here. I'm apostolic from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. But if we're not careful, we could create a culture. And Paul says, you are evil workers. So folks, I'm going to tell you, it better be the Holy Ghost that's getting me up every morning. It better be the Holy Ghost that's leading me every morning. It better not be about the measure. And I better not walk around saying, well, look, I'm holier than they are, or I'm holier than they are, or I look more, or I did more, or I yelled louder, or I danced longer, or I ran the aisles, or I jumped more, or I prayed higher. No, can I tell you, it's not about that. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. It can't be about the works of the flesh. Because if it's about the works of the flesh, Paul says, you are evil workers. And then, then he goes on and he says, beware of the concision. That word means mutilation. You know what the issue was? The main issue that they were bringing up of the law was circumcision. And they were bringing up circumcision. It was a cutting away of the flesh. It was a mutilation, if you will, of the body in the Old Testament. It was a covenant that God had with Abraham. And specifically with Abraham, it was an acknowledgement. There was a penalty there. There was a cost. There was a price. It was an acknowledgement of something that was wonderful. But now that Christ came and fulfilled, amen, the law in every way, the Mosaic law, He fulfilled the promise and the covenant of Abraham in sending a Messiah, he said, through you, I will bless all nations. Through you, he said, all of the world will be blessed. And so that was the Abrahamic covenant. Can I tell you, God fulfilled that covenant when the, 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 the biological seed of Abraham, Mary and Joseph, became the parents of the incarnate Jesus Christ, Almighty God, manifest in the flesh. He fulfilled that covenant. And so we, don't, we, we are not a part of the natural flesh, but we are now circumcised in the spirit. There's a mutilation. There's a change that takes place. Not in our flesh, but it takes place in our spirit. Or at least it ought to take place in our spirit when we give our life to God. It's not just something we wear on the outside. It's something that happens on the inward part of our heart. And Paul talks about that in other places. And he equates the work of baptism and what takes place there. Amen. Through the circumcision of the heart. And this is what Paul says. For we are the circumcision. Paul said, you're not the circumcision anymore. You're pre-Christ. You're before Christ. But Christ fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. And now we are walking in the circumcision. How? We worship God in the spirit. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in the flesh. 
And so what he said to you, he said to those of you that you want to practice circumcision, he said, go ahead, but that's just a mutilation in the flesh. It has no spiritual significance, amen, or covenant with God. He said that though, and I like the phrase he said, I'm not confident in the flesh. If you want to highlight anything, that's a good place to highlight. I do not need to have confidence in the flesh. Don't have confidence in the flesh. For we are the circumcision, or, or he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if I, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And so Paul's now going to go on this, this, this rant here, and he's going to let them know, if you think that you are greater, he said, I'm more. And he said, let's examine my life. And so he gives, he gives a, a biography. He says, concerning the eighth day of the stock of of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. And he said, I did all of those things. But he goes on and says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ Jesus. Paul said this, I lost all that I gained in the flesh, I forsook it so that I could gain Christ and the work of Christ. Paul said, look, I was a Hebrew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was, I was of a Pharisee. I, I did all those things after the law, and I did not measure up to God. And he said, so I was willing to lay aside my reputation and all the works I had done, everything people were giving me accolades. He said, I, I, I threw all of that aside that I might gain Christ. Can I tell you, you will not gain Christ in your life until you're willing to set aside all the things that you've been working on in your flesh. Whether you're a Judaizer or you're in the world. You've been doing something. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, look at me. Look at what I've done. I'm educated. I went to school. I'm making money. I'm doing. And you start stacking up all these things. Can I tell you, none of that is worth anything. And Paul says, I forsook all of that so that I could gain Christ. I'm going to tell you. That right there means that there's no price too high for Jesus Christ in your life. The wisest man that ever lives, I believe it was Proverbs 23, 23, said, buy the truth and sell it not. You know what that means? Whatever it costs you, you buy it. Don't look at the price tag, you buy it. You pull that off the shelf, you put it in the cart, you go to the checkout, and you say, whatever this is going to cost me, I'm going to pay it. And when you get it, don't sell it. It may cost you more than it costs the person sitting next to you. Don't point fingers and say, God, it's not fair. You just buy it. Whatever it costs, whatever you've got to have, gain Christ in your life. Is that all right? So say, I've got to come a longer way. Maybe you think you've got to come a longer way than somebody else. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, it don't matter. Whatever it costs, gain Christ. He said, I counted loss for Christ. We've got to learn to count in God's eternal currency. And this is what Paul said. He said, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss... For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. We've got to learn to count according to God's eternal currency. 
We can't count according to the things of this world. We can't count according to the things of this flesh. Your stuff does not matter. Your talent does not matter to God. You come to God and you think God's going to save you because you're smart or because you're good looking or because you're wealthy or because you have talent or because you've done something. He said, none of that matters. I've got to learn, I've got to learn what matters and what, what really matters in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you, in the church, we should not be hung up on other people's stuff. If God blesses you, God bless you. If you lose, well, God help you. Amen. But it's not about that because Job said, naked came I in this world and naked shall I go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It does not matter. Amen. We are not connected here because we have uh, the, the same amount of stuff or even the same interest. None of that matters. All that matters, amen, is the knowledge of Christ Jesus for whom Paul said, I've suffered the loss of all things that I may win Christ. So life in Christ has got to be the number one focus, amen, of your life. And look at what he says. He goes on here. Let me make sure that I'm not getting ahead of myself. Paul gained so much more in Christ than he'd lost. And in verse 10, let's go in verse 9. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So he said, before I had the righteousness of the law and I gave it up, he said, but you know what I gained? I gained the righteousness of God which is by faith. Something I could not attain to. Somebody said it this way. So it's a fool who holds on to what he cannot keep. Amen. Instead of reaching for what he cannot lose. You can't keep your stuff while you can't even control your health. Jesus said, what man taking thought can add one inch to his stature? You can't do it at all. Forget about all that stuff, but what you can get a hold of is your faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith that will outlast your health. Your faith that will outlast your finances. Your faith that will outlast your stuff. You will never give up something that God will not replace with something better later on. So when God asks for it, you ought to learn to say, oh, yes. Because if I'm giving you this now, I know there's a greater reward. Because God, you cannot outgive God. God will never give, give. I hear you, son. I hear you, son. I got a little loud, so he had to echo it a little bit. God will never ask you something, amen, that he will not replace with something better on later on in life. Maybe not immediately, but you hold on and you trust in God. And so Paul here now in verse 10, he said that I might know him. This is Paul's intent. We're talking about the prize that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. What Paul was saying was his fellowship in Christ, his life in Christ was not the end, but rather it was the beginning. When you come to truth, when you come to church and you give your life to God and you repent and you're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's not the end, folks. That is just the beginning. 
And so Paul said, oh, that I might know him. Why? I'm going to continue on. And the fellowship of his suffering, I want to know him in every way, in every measure possible. We don't get to the place where we stop and we sit back and we quit. And he's going to lead on into this. Look at what he says here. And uh, let's go to verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That was the finishing of that previous sentence. And so he's talking here about the resurrection, the resurrection that we have in Christ. Now look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. So he's, I, he's establishing something, and it's important that we note this here because he's going to come back to this concept later on, and this is the qualifier of the context. He said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. Paul is letting us know that you can never permit yourself to be satisfied with your present spiritual progress. Can I say that again? You cannot permit yourself to be satisfied with your present spiritual progress. You cannot say, look at what I've done. I've attained. I'm there. Hey, look at me. Look at me. I, I prayed an hour every day this week. Look at me. I, I gave so much money. You can't allow your flesh to ever get to the place to where you think you've attained. Paul said, no, I have not attained. There has got to be a longing and a desire. Can I tell you, in the church of the living God, we have got to have this, this desire. Amen. We don't, we don't get to the place to where we stop and, oh, I've done enough. Amen. Or I've quit or I've finished. But I cannot be satisfied. Good enough, done enough. Have enough is all enemies of the spiritual mind. I, have, I am not good enough yet. I have not done enough yet. I do not have enough of God yet. Amen. I need more in my life. I have not yet attained. I am not perfect yet. I'm still living in the flesh. I'm still living in the flesh, walking in the flesh. So there is more to be done in the kingdom of God. Amen. Can I tell you, that's a good place to say amen. I've got to do more i got to keep on striving. i got to keep on pushing. Is that all right? It's the enemy of the spiritual mind. Now, your flesh is going to creep up and say, hey, I've done enough. I prayed yesterday. Hear me, somebody. Your flesh say, well, I, I worshiped God last week. Come on. I went to the altar last month. Isn't that how it is? I gave, I gave offering last month year and your flesh starts saying I'm good enough and Paul's saying we can never get to the place to where we're satisfied no it's got to be every day Paul said I die daily every day I got to bring my flesh into subjection to say uh uh I'm going to be spiritual minded that's what we're talking about is the spiritual mind here now by the way let me make a disclaimer here and let me reference the clock just to know how long you've been sitting there. All right, makes me feel good. Disclaimer, self-evaluation can be a dangerous thing. Now, now, we are supposed to pay attention to what's going on in our life. But self-evaluation can be a dangerous thing. And this is a good place for it. Because Paul says, I haven't attained yet. I haven't gotten to that place yet. When we evaluate ourselves, we usually err in two different ways. Number one... We make ourselves better than we really are. All right? 
or we make ourselves worse than we really are. And we are a generation and a culture that is consumed with self. Now, every generation and culture has been consumed with self to a certain extent, different degree and all that stuff. But we now have the technological advances to consume ourselves of ourselves nonstop, 24 hours all the time. And we are so consumed of ourselves. And so Paul is saying, hey, this is not about that. I've got to keep on keeping on. And look at what he says. He's going to go on. What's the answer? What's the answer? The answer is you keep pressing forward and you leave the past behind. And this is what he said. He said, either we're already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. I forget those things. He said, I leave those things which are behind. I'm leaving my failures behind and I'm leaving my victories behind. I'm leaving my bad days behind and I'm leaving my good days behind. I'm leaving the times I didn't have faith and I'm leaving the times I did have faith because now I'm in a new moment and I can't say that was good enough, I have enough, I've done enough. I've got to keep on pressing on. I am called to follow Christ. Follow Christ. Not settle. <laughs> Christ doesn't call us to come camp with him. He calls us to follow him. Is that all right? That's an action word. That means movement. That means progress. That means growth. Amen. And the Holy Ghost. I heard someone say, and I've never forgotten, I've shared it many times with many young, in young youth service settings, but when Samuel as a child was brought by his mother Hannah and returned to the service of the Lord in dedication, and she brought him back to the prophet she left him there when he was weaned. And the Bible says that every year she would return and she would give him a new coat. She'd make a new coat for the year and she would return back and she would give him a new coat, a new garment, new clothes. And the reason why she had to come back every year and give him a new coat is because he'd outgrown the one she'd made the year before. Can I tell you, somebody said, that we will not get new anointing until we outgrow what God has already given us. And I thought, my goodness, Lord, don't let me be stagnant. Don't let me be stale, but let me grow. Let me grow in your spirit. Let me grow, Lord, in the, in the spiritual mind of Christ Jesus. I've got to grow in the Holy Ghost. I should not look back and say, man, I was really on fire for God 10 years ago. I should not look back and say, man, I really had a walk with God five years ago. No, no, no. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to march forward with the Lord. We are called, amen, to follow Christ, not settle before Him. We're to follow after Him. There's a progression required. And I'll, I'll, I'll quit with this, and we'll come back and pick up where we left off. But I'll, I'll close with this this week. You will break the power of the past by living for the future. And Paul manifests this here. 
He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. You will break the power of the past by living for the future. Paul said, I'm pressing. I have got my eyes on a prize. I have my mind made up. He's going to close the chapter talking about the great transformation Amen. In the resurrection of everlasting life. He's going to close that being the focus. But Paul says, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. Can I tell you, there is a prize and there is a high calling. And God has called us to something that's higher. His ways are not our ways. And His thoughts are above our thoughts. So when living for God doesn't make sense, you go with God. And, and, And don't check your mind at the door, but you just trust in God. Amen. Why? Because I'm living for something that is greater than what I have been given. And I will break, amen, I can break the power of my past when I'm pressing towards the future, amen. The past can have a hold over you. Things that you've carried in and you say, well, well, I can't do that because you don't know where I'm from. You don't know what I've done. Can I tell you, uh-uh, that's not the God that I serve. The God that I serve is an absolute God. He has all power in heaven and earth. He can cause the withered hand to be new again. He can recall the dead back to life. That's the God that I serve. And so leave your past behind. You say, well, how do I leave my past behind? I'm still living in all this stuff. Stop looking at the past. Forget that and press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And he says it this way, let us therefore as many as be perfect. Are we perfect yet? No. Paul already qualified that and said, I haven't attained. I'm not perfect. He'd already made that point. But what he's saying, as many of us as would be perfect, as many of us, we're not perfect yet, but we will be in the translation when God comes down. Amen. In absolute uh, a miracle transformation. But, but we would be perfect. And he says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be Thus minded. What's he talking about? He's talking about a spiritual mind. A mind that says, hey, I'm pressing for the mark of the pride. I I, I work a job so that I can get through this life. I'm not working a job so that I can aim for retirement. Folks, if that's your aim, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Because it's not even a promise you're going to make it to retirement. There's not a promise that your stuff's going to still exist when you get to retirement. There's no guarantee that you're going to be well enough to enjoy anything once you reach that time. You lift your sights higher. (laughs) Lift your sights beyond. Amen. I'm not living for the last few years of my life. I'm living, amen, for the rest of eternity. And I'm pressing for the mark of the pride. That's a spiritual mind. Don't mind the earthly things. I'm minding, amen, the things of heaven, the things of this world. Amen. They, They pale in comparison to what God gives for us. So so don't let the past dominate over you. Stand together with me. We're not yet perfected, but we're on our way to perfection in Christ. He said, be thus minded. How are we to be minded? Well, he's talking right here about the spiritual mind focused on eternity. The spiritual mind is focused on Christ. That was the theme of chapter 1. The spiritual mind, amen, is patterned after Christ. The spiritual mind has a submitted mind in Christ. The spiritual mind 
knows how to count in eternal currencies. The spiritual mind doesn't count the things of of this earth and reputations of men and what people think about you. The spiritual mind doesn't worry about all that stuff. Can I tell you, that's where sometimes I do fear that social media has more influence on us than we're aware of. I, I use social media. I love social media. It's a great tool. What a great asset that we have. But if we're not careful... All we're doing is minding carnal things and we're comparing ourselves and we're worried about what's going on. Can I tell you, Paul's saying, lift your sights above that. Get your mind, not on the things of this world, but focus on Christ. Don't worry about how you compare and measure up to somebody else when your focus is upon Jesus. The spiritual mind does not put faith in the flesh, but the spiritual mind trusts in the Lord. And then he says this, he says, If in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Meaning, if there's anything that Christ is not the center focus of my life, any area, God will reveal it unto you. Now, has anybody ever been living for God for a number of years, a whole long time, and then all of a sudden you go to prayer and God shows you something that he's not satisfied with? And you say, man, I've been doing this a whole long time. Here, I thought I was so great. Come on. Anybody be honest enough? That's spiritual progress. That's good. You ought to come to the altar every time saying, God, okay, what is it? What is it? If there be any wicked thing in me, Lord. That's what David prayed. I want you to search it. I want you to know it. I want you to find it. Let my mind, God, be stayed on you. Can we close tonight with that prayer? I want God to have full reign in, in the entirety of my life, in every avenue, in every aspect. And even if I walk out of here tonight ignorant of some things, God, I want to put you ahead of me so that you can teach me and that you can show me. Would you pray with me, Lord, in Jesus' name? God, I thank you tonight for the power.